The event features guest interviews of true stories that may be traumatic for some listeners. Content warnings and resource information are included in the episode notes. Some names and places have been changed for privacy. In every person's life, there is at least one event that changes them forever, redirects their path, and leaves a mark. These stories will give you a glimpse into the lives of people who have lived through that event, come out the other side, and all of the messy, heartbreaking, and beautiful things that happen along the way. This is the event. Coming up. Something wasn't right, and I remember looking at him, are you okay? Is everything okay? I remember the operator asking me what was the emergency, and I remember telling her that we were making love and that he felt dizzy and, and he just collapsed onto the floor. Just horrified watching this. Holding on to everything I possibly could at that moment, knowing that it was going to go away soon, really soon. I've heard so many sweet stories about Steve that I feel like I know him, in a way. Candy Lisa's Instagram up is a kind of digital memorial, and it's been touching for me to see photos of him and read the humor in his posts. His original photography is just incredibly rich and full of beauty, and I wish I'd had the honor of meeting him. But at least he's left us with the sound of his guitar. conversations that day. I remember Steve talking to Devin about when was he going to meet a nice girl and settle down and have babies. He have grandchildren. And this is Steve talking like, like a mom would. And I remember telling him, just leave him alone. If he's happy, just let him be happy. That may or may not ever come. Don't bug him about that kind of stuff. You know, he wanted Devin to get busy. He thought Devin was old enough that he needed to be serious about getting into a good relationship and settling down and doing what everybody does. And Devin wasn't about that. Just complete opposite. And I saw that early on with him. Anyway, Devin was there and that conversation came up about all of that. And that, that, it was just, it was fun. It was a fun day. We had a really good day together. I always loved seeing Devin pull onto the property and just smiling and just being glad to be there with us. I, I love that in his, you know, his late 20s that he just still really enjoyed his time with his parents and the special bond that he and his dad had. 
They were so different from one another, yet they were so similar. And um, Devin went home that day, and it was just going to be a quiet evening. It was a relaxed day. We were watching some TV, and... I need to stop for a minute. Um, we were just laying in bed. It was early, probably 8-ish, 8.30, and we were watching some TV and just hanging out and was gone a lot more than I used to be. Our intimate life was not quite as mm, active, I don't want to say fulfilling. It was very fulfilling. It wasn't as active as it had been with me being gone more often probably him getting a little older. You know, I never, ever initiated with he and I, ever. Just didn't have to. I was always ready to take care of my man and never said no, so it wasn't really a reason to initiate either. Um, and that, that evening, I, I initiated. And then, um, then... I, um, the other thing I didn't do often was get on top and I, I did. And, you know, we were just kind of starting out making love and it didn't seem any different than any other time, but then he just kind of stopped and I just was, I guess I, in my head, I was just like, Hmm. Someone wasn't right. And I remember looking at him, are you okay? Is everything okay? And he said, no, I, I need to sit up. I got up really quick and I said, are you okay? And he says, I feel dizzy. And at, at the same time that he's saying this, he's swinging his legs onto the side of the bed, onto the floor. And I remember reaching for him saying, are you okay? And putting my hand on his shoulder because I'm behind him now, and he said he felt dizzy, and he did have a vertigo. He had had a spell with vertigo a couple weeks earlier, and it didn't happen often, but it happened, and he had some medication for it. And so, at the time that that happened, I was really thinking it was a vertigo issue, and I didn't want him standing up because I didn't want him to fall. And so, I, I told him to stay here, don't get up, and I was thinking, where's his medication? And I no more said that, and my hand was still on his shoulder, and he just he just fell forward. He just and I thought he passed out. So now he's on the floor of the yurt. The yurts are curved, and we have this queen bed and a and a nightstand next to it, and then he's next to that, and it's just not a very big area there between the yurt walls and the and the bed and. And I just remember jumping off the bed and going and trying to wake him and just get up, get up, get up. And then just like, kind of like realizing that the, he's not waking up. He's not coming out of it. And my phone was on my side of the bed, which was the other side of the bed. And I didn't want to leave him to go get my phone, but I needed, I needed to make a call. So I got my phone, I brought it over, and I put it on the windowsill 
I remember very calmly dialing 911 and putting it on speaker and putting it on the windowsill that was like right there where we were. And I don't really remember a lot after that. (laughs) I remember the operator asking me what was the emergency. And I remember telling her that we were making love and that he felt dizzy and and he just collapsed onto the floor. And I was really concerned with them finding us out on this property because it's dark out there and we live in a year. We don't even have a home. And also just knowing how long it's going to take because we're 15 miles out of town. And she was asking me to roll him over and give him CPR. And, and I couldn't do it. He was heavy. I couldn't roll him over. His feet were already under the bed. I couldn't. I, I just couldn't. And part of me didn't want to. Because I knew by the time, I knew by the time somebody would get there, that if... If he was still breathing, the likelihood of having to make another decision to pull a plug later on was absolutely on the table. Like, that was going to be real. And I don't really remember what all I was thinking, but I just remember just, like, watching him slip away. And... She asked me to see if he was still breathing. And so I, I, I leaned over to see if he was still breathing and his eyes were wide open and he was just not there. He had thrown up. And then there was a stream of urine that came from underneath his body. And I knew it was gone. And at the same time, I just wanted the EMTs to get there. I needed him to be rescued, and I couldn't rescue him. And I was just worried they're not going to find us. And about 20 minutes, which seemed like a lifetime, they showed up. There were three of them. There were two women and a man. And they came right in and they moved his body from where he was. And it took all three of them to do that to the rug in front of our bed where they started performing CPR. And I was just standing there just horrified watching this and I I didn't know that there was anybody else there and I don't know when more people showed up but I felt a hand on my back and a man talking in my ear kind of from behind me saying Candy I am 
we didn't use the word pastor. What do they call him in the military? Chaplain. Chaplain. He said, Candy, I'm a chaplain. And the minute I heard him say, he's a chaplain, I knew that they knew before they got there. Or there would have been no reason to have a chaplain there. So now he's asking me to step out of the yurt. And I couldn't. I couldn't. I didn't want him. I didn't want Steve out of my sight. I just didn't want him out of my sight. And so I wouldn't go. And then finally he said, I gotta I gotta tell you now we gotta walk out of this yurt together. You and me, come on. And so I finally agreed because we have windows in the door so I could still see what was going on. So we step outside and now there's more people there. I feel the presence of more people, but I'm still just so just like zeroed in on Steve there. And I'm not feeling a thing. I'm just, I'm numb. And he says, it's cold out here. Let's go get into the back of the van, just the EMT vans. There were two of them sitting there. I didn't want to go. And he says, it's snowing. And I, I had gotten dressed, but I honestly don't. I don't remember what I was wearing. I don't remember how I got dressed or I don't remember anything, but I was, I at least had clothes on. Um, I just knew that if I got into the back of that van, the next time that door was going to open was going to be somebody coming in to say that they're sorry that they tried and that he was gone. And so I remember getting into the van and I remember him saying, life is so unfair. Just, just things that were not comforting to me at all. And I experienced that for months after that. What people think is comforting in a time like that is not comforting at all. He was a very nice man. And I'm glad that he was there. But the comfort was just in his presence and not in anything that he said. And then, of course, the door did open. And somebody came in. Maybe they didn't even come in. Maybe they just opened the door. And they said exactly that. So sorry. They did everything they could. And then I was allowed to get out and go into the yurt. And I passed so many people. So many people going back into the yurt. It's like, where did they come from? And they had them covered up lying there with just a a blanket up to his neck and uh, people started moving out and I remember just being kneeled over just on my knees just over his body just crying crying and at the very same time I have somebody asking me what kind of medication was he taking What's the social security number? <laughs> Just questions. 
and I'm laying over my dead husband. Wondering why do why did they have to know all this right now? I'd say if there's going to be a book on something like this, I could write a really good book that I think would be a whole lot more helpful for people. Because even those first responders don't seem to really get it. I don't know. I shouldn't say that because everybody was so incredibly kind to me, but it was just so unreal. And, and then they were right away wanting to know, you need to pick a cemetery, uh, a funeral home. Somebody's got to come get him. And so I chose a place in Olympia. And by now, I don't know what time it is. It's after 10. And the corner has to still come. And then after the corner comes, then the people come to take him away. And I just sat over him and cried. And I remember the one EMT, she actually was the fire chief. And she said, do, do you have Tylenol anywhere, Candy? Trust me, you're going to, you need some Tylenol. You're going to have a horrible headache if you don't take some. And I just refused. I just didn't want anybody talking to me. I didn't want to want anything to do with anybody at that point. And then they asked me, who can we call? I grabbed my phone and I dialed my mom and I gave her the phone. And I don't remember hearing the conversation. I don't remember what was said. I don't remember who was in the room at the time. I don't really... I just, it was just Steve and I, and I was just devastated. I asked them to get a pillow so we could put it under his head. I wanted him to be comfortable. And they did that for me. And then, and then the corner came. And while the corner was going to do what he needed to do, they made me leave the yard again. But then he left, and then the people from the cemetery, the funeral home came. But that was, they were like two hours out. I remember being pretty late when they said it was going to take some time for them to get up there. At some point, my parents showed up. And I don't know if it was before or after they showed up, but I lay down next to Steve, and I remember putting my hand, I remember trying to feel for warmth from him, and I remember putting my hand, like, in his underarm, and it was still warm. And I was just holding on to that warmth for as long as I possibly could, because it's all I had. That's all I had at that point. It's I just I only had my my husband there laying there in front of me for not very much longer. And then I was never gonna see him again. And I just remember just holding on to everything I possibly could at that moment, knowing that it was gonna go away soon, really soon. And so I laid there with him and I just cried and just couldn't believe my life that moment. 
And the paramedics stayed. That Those three stayed. The t- three that showed up first, I think, were the last to leave when they took the body. I think I probably had a minute with him without anybody being there. I don't even remember now, but I remember going and getting in my mom and dad's car and not wanting to see them bring his body out in a body bag. And so I didn't look after that. And my parents took me back to their place. That's when I had to take some Tylenol because, yeah, my head felt like it was going to explode. And I sat in a recliner chair for the rest of that night. I remember my mom asking me something about Devin, and I said, no, 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 we're not calling Devin. I want to be at his house about the time he leaves for work, but I wasn't really sure what time that was. And so um, next morning, um, my mom and I got in her car and we drove to Devin's house and, uh, when we pulled up, he was just at his car. So it was like perfect timing. It was around 7, 7.30. And I'm sure to him, seeing me and my mom pull up, it's like <laughs> early in the morning on a Monday morning. I remember him looking at me going, Mom, is everything okay? It was just weird for him. And I'm trying to keep myself together. And I don't know how I'm going to say this to him. And we're on a sidewalk on this side of the road in front of his house and there's traffic going by I remember saying Devin dad died last night called him dad in front of Devin and he just grabbed me and held me and cried a little bit and I cried and then he said I had to make a phone call I said, will you come back to Grandma and Papa's with me? And he said, yeah. And so he said, I'll be right behind you. I got back in the car with my mom. We went back to their place. I no longer sat down in their place. And Devin walks through the door. My dad was in the bathroom at the time that he walked through the door. And he came in and he sat in the chair next to me and he grabbed my hand. And one of the first things he said to me was, have you told dad yet? And I said, baby, your, your dad died last night, not Papa. And about that time, my dad walks out of the bathroom right there in front of us. <laughs> We've never talked about that. He and I. He got up and he gave my dad a big hug and sat back down with me. And I'm sure it was so surreal to him. It had to have been so surreal to him. But I remember him not wanting to let go of my hand and him telling me, we're going to be okay, we're going to be okay, we're going to be okay. (laughs) Yeah, that's... And I don't remember a whole lot after that. 
coming up. I was just in this dark tunnel. And nothing, nothing, nothing has been the same. But he'd had premonitions. I think it was Wednesday or Thursday before he passed, he said, something or someone is out to kill me and I'm not going to let it happen. Seems like there were so many little things that point in the direction. What was he not telling me? I do believe in messengers. That owl that was visiting him, I, it, at least since then, just felt like somehow that owl was a messenger. Hey, listeners, I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for listening and supporting the show. The event is an independent podcast created and written by me, Angela Perez. Guest interviews are unscripted, and views shared by guests are their own and might not represent the views of the event, its producers, or sponsors. If you like this podcast, follow, leave a five-star review, and most importantly, please, please, please share the event with your family and friends and on social media. Sharing is the best way for this podcast to grow and reach others, and it would mean the world to me. Thank you. You can join the event community on the event Facebook discussion group, and you can find me at theeventpod.com. Some links are from sponsors, and using them helps support this podcast. Season 1 was produced in collaboration with Candy Ayala.